Welcome to the Classic City Church Podcast. At C3, we exist to help people pattern their lives after Jesus. This message was first given as part of our teaching series at C3. All right, Gospel of Mark, that's what we're doing. Okay, I'm going to read out from Mark chapter 10, verses uh, 17 through 31. This is the story of the rich young man who comes up to Jesus. Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, All these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed. At his words. But Jesus again said, Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Today's sermon title is called How to Be Rich. Right, perfect one for going into the new year. There is this really, uh, uh, first off, okay, who here is a country music fan? Come on, admit it. Mom, you're on it. Thank you. We're from Corona. There we go. You got it. All right. I know not everybody, it's not everybody's cup of tea, okay? But there was this song, this is really funny uh, song that came back around the year uh, 2015, um, and it's by uh, an artist called Chris Jansen, and the song is Buy Me a Boat, okay? And the song goes, um, I know everybody knows money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy me a boat. It can buy me a truck to pull it. It can buy me a Yeti 110 ice down with some silver bullets. Right? And so on. And then it has this, and then it quotes two Bible verses, including one of ours for today. It says, I keep hearing money is the root of all evil, and you can't fit a camel through the eye of a needle. And I'm sure that's probably true, but it still sounds pretty cool because it can buy me a boat. And for the record, 
The first Bible verse that quotes that says money is the root of all evil, that is a misquoted Bible verse um, that is consistent in our culture. It does not say that money is the root of all evil. It actually comes from 1 Timothy 6.10, which says, for the love of all money is the root of, or money is the root of all evil. Love of money is the root of all evil. There we go. And then it says about the camel going through the eye of the needle. And though this song is absolutely 100%, I hope, to be a joke, and it is a very funny song, I think it plays on the heartstrings of our consumeristic society, saying, we know that money cannot buy us happiness, but I think we really think that money can buy us happiness. We know that it's not true, but come on. We all know that we'd be a little happier with a boat. Nice pickup truck. I know I've been there. I know. If you don't feel like you've been there, I've been there, okay? This is a really tough passage. But I think there's this lie that tells us that money equals happiness or that, that you walk into somebody's house and somebody will just say like, somebody will compliment somebody on their house and say, oh, this is just amazing. Look at all the wonderful stuff that you have. And the person will just say, look back at them and say, oh, we have just been blessed. Right? We were just so blessed. Right? But the truth is, that was the same in Jesus' day. That if you were Jewish, right, or even if you were pagan, people believe that if you were wealthy, you had made it. People thought that if you had a lot of money, that you had been blessed by God or that you had been blessed by the gods. Everybody, every, if, you had, if you had money and you had, you had status, you had wealth, you had, you had security in your life, that money meant that you, God had shown you special favor. And sometimes we still think that today, even though most Christians around the world live on less than $2 a day. So we have to be careful about how we talk about God's blessing in terms of simply talking about monetary money or talking about money. You know, at Christmas, we even believe this. It, you know, we, we tell ourselves, oh, we're going to overspend on our credit cards, or we just want to give the kids or the grandkids kids a good Christmas. And so we go out and we overspend and, and we buy all the things that we think that they want for Christmas and all the things that, the, that we've been writing down saying that, you know, they want to give to Santa or whatever. And then we give it to them on Christmas Day and then they play with the box next to the toy for the majority of the time. Trust me, I know Joshua got this like great Hot Wheels thing for, it's like a Hot Wheels garage. It's got like a dragon on the top of it and like cars fling into it. You shoot cars into it. And like, if you hit it in the right spot, the dragon like dies and goes to the bottom. I played with it more than the kids. Like I had so much fun putting it together, right? And my kids did play with it but they also played with the majority with the box that it came in, which is a very humbling experience on how to give your kids a very good Christmas. Just go get them a box. That's the lesson of the story. In our previous story in Mark, we had a break for Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve, but in earlier in Mark chapter 10, we learned that, um, that children are to receive, were to receive the kingdom of God like those of children. The children in Jesus' day, they were the bottom of the bottom. They had nothing to offer. They had no status. They had no money. They couldn't even get themselves to Jesus. And we're told they're the ones that received the kingdom of God. But what's really interesting is that we're told that 
the children or those like children are the ones that receive the kingdom of God. And yet in this passage is contrasted, which is rich young ruler who has absolutely everything, has money, has status, has, uh, is, is the right gender, is everything going in his favor and yet walks away sad from Jesus, does not enter the kingdom of God. A little background in our passage before we jumped into the text, that in Jewish day, the, the time was put into two different parts of history, okay? There was the present age. They believed, the Jews believed that there was the present age in which they lived in, and then there was another history to come, which would be the age to come. There was the, the, the present age and the age to come, and we see that in our text today. There's the present age and the age to come. The present age was marked by a broken world. This included disease, this included sin and brokenness, and uh, it included injustices uh, in the world, um, rebellion uh, from demonic forces, and it included death. And then there would be the age to come where this anointed king, the Messiah, would come along and it would, they would recreate God's world. They would put all wrongs to right. All the injustices would bring justice. There would be no more oppression of those, uh, uh, of taking advantage of people. There would be, uh, there would, there would be no more poor. Uh, there would be an abundance, right? There would be no more death. They even believed that the righteous dead would be raised to life. That ultimately, in the age to come, that there would be freedom in the land for the people of God. So when the man rushes up and falls on his knees before Jesus, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He isn't talking about so much about heaven as you and I are thinking about it. He is asking, how can I be a part of this age to come? How can I be you? He recognizes that Jesus is his promised Messiah. He says, how can I be with you? How can I join with you in what you're doing? I want to be a part of what you're doing, bringing the kingdom of God into the world. Jesus replies by saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then Jesus lists off the commandments. He says, you should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You should not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus gives us this really tick, kind of cryptic and kind of odd reply, but Jesus comes from an honor and shame culture. So when somebody goes up and says, good teacher, he's saying, nice to meet you, good teacher. Normally, Jesus should reply, nice to meet you, good man. He would reply, good man, as he was to good teacher. But Jesus doesn't do this. Jesus replies by saying, no one is good except for God alone, which sets up Jesus' teaching moment later in the passage. But then Jesus shares the back half of the Ten Commandments, right? He says, uh, he lists, don't murder, uh, don't commit adultery, uh, don't, uh, uh, don't be a thief. Um, he, um, there, he lists one on perjury. He says, don't defraud, which is one added into the Ten Commandments that actually isn't there. And then Jesus goes back to number five in the Ten Commandments and says, honor your mother and father. Now, some scholars think uh, this is Jesus's way of saying, okay, how did you make your money? 
Because what all of these uh, back half of the commandments have to do is how do you treat your neighbor as yourself? Remember, Jesus says, he sums up the whole Ten Commandments of love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Numbers 1 through 3 of the Ten Commandments is all about your vertical relationship with God, where 5 through 10 is all about how do you treat your neighbor. And four is the Sabbath, which is really interesting for Jesus to say this. He's basically saying, how did you treat your neighbor and how you got your money? Did you do it with integrity or did you take advantage of others with injustice and oppression? Because if you think about Jesus's time, they're living in a time when only 2% of people have wealth. Everybody else is completely dirt poor. So if you're rich, you probably did it by taking advantage of others. Think about Jesus' day. Who were the people that were wealthy, especially Jews at that time? They were the hypocritic religious leaders. They were um, tax collectors. They were Herodians who decided, oh, we're just going to go with Rome so we can get ours, forget everybody else. Right? The 2% of people are wealthy. So it might be likely that this guy didn't make his living with honesty and integrity. Also notice that Jesus lives out, leaves out commandments one through four, right? Which is all about how you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and also to obey the Sabbath, which is work stoppage and saying, I'm going to trust God that he's going to be my protector and provider, right? I'm going to worship only him. So that's what Sabbath is. It's work stoppage. Verse 20, the man gives an answer. He says, teacher, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. And like a school teacher, when somebody says, well, I've kept all the rules, you answer, sure you did. Sure you did. I'm sure you've kept every single law to a T. All 613 commandments that are found in the Old Testament, I am sure that you have kept all of those commands. But the man says, yes, I've kept the Torah. I've kept the law. I have made my money with integrity. So he's claiming to Jesus that I've done it blamelessly and built my wealth with honesty. Jesus then looks at the man in verse 21, and it says that he loved him. And I almost feel like Jesus sighs right here, takes a deep breath, and he says, One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. The word look in this text is not how I am like just looking at you. It's looking into the man. It's looking at his heart. It's looking at his desires. It's looking into his soul. That Jesus doesn't just see what's on the outside of this man. He sees what's on the inside of the man. And what's really important to remember in this text is that Jesus loved the man. Whatever the result is, whatever the man says next, even though he goes walks away later in the passage, that Jesus still loves the man. He says, he challenges him to the core, and he goes, go sell everything, then I want you to be my disciple. Come and be my Talmudine. Come and be my apprentice. I want you to come and follow me. Which Jesus doesn't give that invitation to everybody. He says, come follow me. Verse 22 says, at this, the man's face fell, or man's face fell. He went away sad, which means more than sad. He grieved over this because he had great wealth. 
For the man, money was not a gift from God. Money was his God. Now we learn why Jesus withheld the commands of one through three of loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And, of course, the Sabbath of taking work stoppage and trusting God to as your protector and your provider. That Jesus also left out covetousness as well as one of the Ten Commandments. Jesus used this as a teaching, learner, a teaching moment to his disciples. He says, he says, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed. The word amazed in the text says, means astonished. It's jaw-dropping. They're shocked at his words. But Jesus again says, children, and I love what he says about children because it kind of refers back to the old passage, right? Our, our passage before about children entering the kingdom of God. Jesus says, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples can't believe what Jesus is saying. They, they're thinking, if this guy isn't going to make it, who in the world can make it into God's kingdom. Because surely the disciples are thinking like everybody else in that society of the day, that if this guy is wealthy, he has been blessed by God. He has had God's favor upon him. And if that guy can't make it, who in the world has a chance to make it into God's kingdom? Jesus goes on by saying a joke. I know a lot of the times that we think that Jesus is very serious, uh, and, and if, if, you, if you think Jesus is just serious all the time, he's not. I mean, anybody who lets little children come to him, blesses them, anybody who uh, uh, goes and, and, and throws parties or makes water into wine, uh, Jesus here, he's joking, right? He's telling a joke. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for, somebody, than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. He takes the, the, the largest animal in that society and he takes the smallest object and he says, look, it's impossible. Look, you take a camel and you can't stick it through the eye of a needle. Now, if we were in Indiana, Jesus might say, look, you can't fit all of the corn in the Midwest into a single silo, right? Everybody knows that, okay? That's, that's my translation. Don't quote me on that, okay? But, right? Think about it. It's impossible. Jesus is giving a sarcastic Joke, right? It's impossible to do. And it says here in verse 26, it says, the disciples were even more amazed. They're even more astonished. Their jaws are on the ground. And they say, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And remember that phrase. If you forget everything else today, remember that phrase. With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Whether it's our wealth, whether it's our good deeds, whether, whatever it is that we think that we need to do in order to be saved, it, you cannot save yourself. It comes only from full reliance on Jesus, that it's our faith and our grace alone. What's impossible in our own works is possible with Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross. We are saved by only full reliance on God and his grace and his mercy for salvation. And then I love Peter. It says, verse 28 says, Then Peter spoke up, so you know it's going to get really good at this point. If you know anything about Peter, right, he always finds a way to open his mouth. He says, We have left everything to follow you. Jesus replied, he says, truly I tell you, 
No one has left home or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, throws that one in there, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. I believe this is the second of three times that Jesus says this in three chapters, right? The, la- the first will be last, and the last will be first. And I know that for so many of us, like, that we think of Peter as, like, this kind of, like, poor fisherman, not really making it in his trade, so what better do I have to do than go and follow Jesus, right? If you've watched The Chosen, I encourage you to watch The Chosen. It's wonderful. But, like, it makes Peter out to be, like, he doesn't have any money and he's not doing well. If you were a fisherman in Jesus' day, you're probably doing okay. Um, If you're a fisherman with a boat, which he does have a boat, and he leaves his boat. Think about our country song earlier, right? He leaves his boat to go and follow Jesus. So if you've got a boat, you've kind of, just like in our day, like you kind of made it. If you've got a boat, but also Peter leaves his boat. He leaves his home. The disciples, they, they follow Jesus at great cost, right? Like giving up everything. And Peter's like, hey, we've done all that, Jesus. And Jesus kind of says this, this sandwich kind of blessing, right? He gives them like a compliment sandwich. He says, all right, you are going to be blessed beyond belief, not only in this age if you come follow me. It doesn't mean that you'll have riches beyond your belief, but you will, your blessing will return to you a hundredfold. But it's going to come along with persecutions. It's going to come with hardships. It might even cost you your life. You're going to have a cross to bear. But in the age to come, there's going to be eternal life. And for you and for me, at least in the United States, we don't face physical persecution. I know that many around believers around the world, they, they face the, the death penalty or being executed for their faith. For you and for me, it might be mocked. We might be uh, considered weird. Uh, you know, why would you spend your time, talents, and treasures uh, in the church? <laughs> what is the point of your faith? You know, there, we live in such a... Uh, such a different society than we did 10 years ago or even 20 years ago, a very uh, unchurched, unchristian society, and it's increasingly going that way, which don't be surprised if more persecutions come our way. Hopefully, we will not have to face physical uh, persecution. But Jesus is saying, look, there is great cost to following me, but the return is worth it. Jesus teaches again that the first will be last and the last will be first. That Jesus' kingdom is upside down and inside out. Money. Money is a tool and an object. It is amoral. It is neither good nor evil. What money does, and the more that you have it, it's like a bigger magnifying glass on your heart. The more that you have, the more that people can see what is really going on and how we deal with money. Do we love money or do we love God? For the rich man and so many people, money becomes a snare. You know, you hear of countless um, celebrities or athletes who just ruin their lives because they can't handle the money that they instantly get in their early 20s. 
I thank God that I didn't have that money, money, much money when I was like 22, 23 years old. I would have wrecked myself. The more money you have, the greater the temptation there is. Wealth can be a snare to make us feeling independent rather than being dependent on God. It can make us arrogant and can lead us even into bondage. John Mark Comer, who is a speaker, author, writer, uh, lists uh, six uh, signs that you might have a problem with money. Don't shoot me. I'm just the messenger, okay? But these deeply challenge my life, and they're just questions for us to reflect on today. So signs that you might have a problem with money. Number one, you can't give large amounts of money away. You go around tight-fisted in your life. You walk around this the whole time like this, not being generous to anybody. Number two, you think about how much you have to give, not how much you get to give. It's the opposite of what God calls a cheerful giver. Number three, the more you make, the lower the percentage you give away. Think about that. That is a very common one. The more you make, the lower percentage you give away. I think about the uh, woman who goes and gives a penny in the temple, and yet Jesus praises her for giving more than anybody else percentage-wise. If you don't learn to give when you have nothing, you'll never be able to give when you have a lot. And giving is like a muscle. If you don't use it, you will lose it. Number four, you're scared of having less than what you currently have, meaning your happiness is tied to your standard of living, that you've got so used to your money being your protector and your provider that you're no longer relying on God. Number five, you get jealous of those who have more than you or doing better than you, meaning you envy or you covet your neighbor. Number six, no matter how much money you get, you want more. There is no contentment in your life. You are constantly on the treadmill or hamster wheel of make me more money. I got to make more money. I got to be more ambitious. I got to do this. And you, it will be a black hole in your life and you will never be happy. You will never be satisfied. There will never be enough. Unless you're in... Unless you're in complete poverty, right, then that's different, okay? If you're in complete poverty, that is completely different. But if you make 50000 60000 70000 your joy, your happiness doesn't really increase. In fact, it can, might make you more miserable if your heart's not in the right place. Money is a tool, You can either use it or it will use you. It will be a tool that you have control of or you'll be the one end up being a tool. It's the only time in church when you can call somebody a tool. Okay. (laughs) Happiness. Happiness and God's blessing are not based on how much you make. And the spoiler for those who are interested in the Financial Peace University that we're doing, the goal of the course is not to get you rich. It has empowered you to be a better steward of God's gifts, his resources. 
It's to get you out of doubt, to build, build wealth. But the ultimate goal of the course is for you to learn to give generously, to be an outrageous giver, a hilarious giver, a giver who finds joy and excitement in giving away, not holding on. It's going through life with open hands, not with closed fists. And though we see a negative example of the rich young ruler in this passage, there are other passages where we see positive examples of people who are wealthy in the Bible who steward God's gifts to further the mission of God. There's Lydia, who is the dealer of purple cloth in Philippi, which is the first church plant in that region. Right? She uses her home, she uses her wealth to extend the kingdom of God. There's Chloe, who's from uh, Corinthians. Right? She helps fund the mission of God. Jesus uses the example of the good Samaritan, right? The guy who's left dead on the side of the road. And Jesus um, praises the, the guy in the, in the parable saying that he's the only one, right? That, that was a neighbor, right? That he was the only one and he used his wealth to keep the guy alive. So it doesn't come down just about having money or not having money. It's not as simple as that. It's not a blanket statement. But the truth is that, that richness is found only in a relationship with God. Richness is found in apprenticeship to Jesus. It means being his disciple. It's learning to give sacrificially and living generously in the kingdom of God where the last will be first and the first will be last. If you'd like to stand with me, I'm just going to finish by reading out the words of the Apostle Paul and I invite the band up at this time. The words of the Apostle Paul gives us from 2 Corinthians. He says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Let us pray. Jesus Lord, I pray that we would not worship money or anything else. Lord, I pray that our full heart's desire would be on you. Lord, that you'd help us and teach us to be your disciples where the last will be first and the first will be last. Help us to be servants. Help us to give generously through our time, talents, and treasures. Lord, help us not to go through life with closed fists and a hard heart. But Lord, help us to be generous. Help us to help those in need. Help us to be generous with the poor. Help us to uplift those who are oppressed. Help us to bring justice where there is injustice. Lord, help us to be outrageously generous in every area and part of our lives. And Lord, help us to further your mission. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, we thank you that you empower us with the Holy Spirit and give us new chances every day. And Lord, I pray that in this new year, Lord, that we would be empowered to be outrageously generous with the world around us. Come Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. We hope that this message helps you to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Connect with us at classiccitychurch.org.